0: Welcome to the Etobicoke Historical Society's monthly oral history podcast. This podcast is one of a series of interviews of senior Etobicoke residents in the 1980s. The interview tapes were recently discovered in the local history room at Richview Public Library. We would like to thank the Toronto Public Library for giving them back to us so they could be made into these podcasts. These oral histories are a valuable and unique view into the history of Etobicoke in the early part of the 20th century, as seen through the personal experiences of local residents. We will be presenting a different interview each month. We hope you enjoy them.
1: Pretty uh, up in Markland, what we call Markland Wood now. Um, That was your original farm, the family's original farm?
2: That was the family's original uh, uh, crown deed farm, yes, as well as uh, that little piece at the bottom there, right where the uh, hospital grounds are. You know
1: the the Queensway. The, the Queensway Way.
2: Hospital. Yes. Now. Um. See, that's they came up, the took river that far and couldn't get any farther, and they staked there, and took a year or two to look around. So they came over in 18, uh, eight. and 1810 they went up and took this other property, and they had both, of course.
1: Now, what sort of um, uh, farm was it? What, what was it—a dairy farm, or did they have other side businesses? Which farm? This is the Markland Wood. The Markland Wood farm.
2: Or a mixed farm. Mixed farm. Mixed
1: farm. Now, is there anything else that they had to I think you mentioned they had mills on there?
2: They had the, uh, a grist mill and a sawmill from the water power.
1: Off the Etobicoke Creek? Off
2: the Etobicoke Creek, yeah.
1: Now when did, uh, when did you acquire the farm on Dundas Street? on Brown's oh, line.
2: I, when did the family acquire it? Well, my grandfather went down to the California Gold Rush. And uh, he didn't like it, and he came over to the Mississippi River and started working his way north. And he was a millwright. That is, uh, knowing the relation of the size of the shaft that the pulley goes on, the size of the pulley and the size of the belt and so on and mill rights were very scarce and all along the Mississippi in those days there was all kinds of mills operating lumber mills and cotton mills and everything whatever gives. Anyway when he'd make some money he'd send it up to his mother here in Somerville, and uh, the keep farm, and she would write to him and told him about this farm that I lived on, and uh, he advised her to buy a farm, and that's when they got a hold of it.
1: Now, uh, I also read that uh, your grandfather invented the copper toe shoe.
2: Yes. Now,
1: why would he, um, he sold it down, sold the patent for it, or the idea down in the States? Um, Did he try to sell it up here in Canada?
2: I don't think so. Okay.
1: Um, Now, did you get these stories firsthand from him, or? Oh, yeah. yeah. He told you all these stories himself. Now, um, getting on further, you were a a counselor. in the Etobicoke Township in the 1920s. Exactly how long were you on council? Seven years. Now, what would be some of the, some of the controversial issues that would go through council then?
2: Well, we had, uh, I was Deputy reeve for five years, and, uh, that is during the Depression. I don't know what to get the council today, as a member of the council. But in those days, we got three dollars a meeting. Um, the regular meeting was every two weeks.
1: What were some of the things that that, that were discussed? Like uh, you were you said you were deputy reeve during the depression. Yeah. Um, you the, at that point, the municipal governments were were responsible for, for, for relief. Um, what were some of the, some of the problems involved in that? What were some of the, the big issues? Well,
2: we had the Teamsters who were on relief uh, hauling stone from Cooksville Brickyard. I think they got them there for nothing haul them away out of the road, see. And uh, they piled them on the roadsides in toises, And we paid the teams just so much a toys for placing the stones.
1: Now, what, what exactly is a toys?
2: Oh, a toys, I don't know what the measurements are. Something about, like a, a cord of wood, you see, in, in the same relationship and about the same size. And then we organized the labor boys, the township bought hammers, and uh, rings that they used for a measure, that the stones had to be broke within, that they go through this three-inch ring and they are paid so much a choice for breaking them. And uh, that is their relief money. We tried to get them working as well as we could to earn money. And and there was a limit to it too, could only learn so much a week, you see. And uh, so we could spread it around. We had not much money
1: how much would that would they get a week? Pardon? How much would they get a week? What was the maximum?
2: It is how much they, they were paid round figure so much a choice.
1: Would it be $10 dollars know. or fifteen.
2: Well oh yeah, fifteen ten or fifteen dollars. Depending on the family needs.
1: Now would there be any other sort of make work projects like that other than the, the Yes we
2: we had them uh digging ditches, even in the wintertime, up in the northern part of the township. And the farmers, not understanding what was going on, uh, got quite riled up to think we had a lot of bums leaning on the ditches up there. <laughs> Did they
1: come down to doing council? Doing what
2: we should be doing, it should do in the summertime, you see. But uh, after the farmers understood the situation, uh, they pulled in the horns. Well then, another situation I had was down in Alderwood, with a lot of, that's where most of our unemployed came from. And they had new schools down there, the Horner Avenue School and the Beck School, and they were quite new. And expensive uh, equipment put in. For example, they had fly screens on the windows, bronze fly screens, you see, which uh, you couldn't do much about because the law read the school trustees write to the township and say, We want so much money for this year. And the law says you shall grant. Well, we weren't collecting any money down there in the way of taxes. But they were collecting from us to live. And uh, there was a big row over that. Here we were. Those who were paying the taxes were carrying them too, you see. And... uh, it made things pretty difficult. It wouldn't be so bad if you are farther out, where they wasn't, where you weren't in a suburb of Toronto. But we got in an awful of jam there. But fortunately, living close to Toronto too, a large, perce- quite a percentage of them moved into the city with friends, and uh, Toronto was just handing them money and uh, they were living on Toronto and squeezing in wherever they could get with their friends and relatives in town. Do
1: you have any idea how many uh, people were on relief then? Oh, no, no. four or five hundred, maybe, or?
2: Oh, yes, it'd be that, in Etobicoke.
1: Now, you mentioned these farmers who got, uh, who were upset about digging ditches in the winter time, did they come down in a group down to council?
2: Uh, No, they just phoned our council members up there and burnt the phone over their ears.
1: (laughs) Now, I have heard that uh, there was one incident with uh, uh, William Armstrong, who was Reeve, uh, at one point during the Depression, about him being... I guess you could say kidnapped or held hostage. Um, Do you remember that?
2: I was not, yes, I remember it, but I wasn't on the consulate then, thank goodness.
1: (laughs) What exactly happened then? What was was going on?
2: Well, it was just for relief, you see, and uh, the unemployed had a meeting in the is the um, Chatham Beck School and invited the council down there. And Armstrong was the only one that went. He was reaped. <laughs> and uh, they were starting to manhandle him. And uh, he reasoned with them, though. I mean, told them they wasn't going to get anything by that. And, and had uh, Oh, and they locked him in the coal bin, I think, for about an hour.
1: <laughs> who, did you know who, who the leader was of the, uh, no, the group? No, no. Um, were, were the unemployed organized like that quite a bit, or...?
2: Well, they were trying to organize, you know. And they had nothing else to do, so they just raised hell whenever they could to get some more money and more help. The trouble with a lot of them was that uh, you would give them, a, those that weren't able to work or something, you'd give them an order on a coal dealer, to bring some coal in, keep the house warm, and on the grocery man. So much money, but it had to be groceries and sold and used at a certain place. Well, they would get in the coal, have a ton of coal. They'd sell half it to the neighbor who was working, get cash from him, go down to New Toronto and bet the ponies with it.
1: They had, they had, a, they had a truck down to New Toronto? Oh, yeah. Long, or was it Long Branch? I know it was Long, long.
2: Branch. I knew it was, uh, Long Branch Racetrack was down there then, yeah.
1: So they had a, there was a lot of fights in, uh, in council over that, the way the money was being spent?
2: You couldn't do anything about it, what could you do?
1: What sort of meetings would you have in council? Were they, did a lot of people show up?
2: Yes, in the afternoon, any deputations, anybody, they'd Phone and say, ask what time we, for the deputation to come in, see, from the clerk, and he had arranged it from. And we'd, uh, we didn't have uh, such a lot of uh, disturbances at the council, no. Maybe one or two, I mean, in regards to relief maybe one or two a year. But we had uh, men who were looking after the relief in each district. I was looking after the Long Branch Hollywood people because I was closer to that area. And I had a man down there, a very good fellow too, who uh, did his best to look after them and reported back to me all the time.
1: Now, would you get, uh, you said you took care of the relief in one area, did um, you get a lot of personal appeals?
2: No, I didn't. Uh, they, i have send them to this other man. He knew the situation and I didn't so much. See. But I did have a strange one. I was cutting wood, firewood. Down near the railroad track at a bush down there. And uh, two Czechoslovakians came up to me in the bush while I was working. And they said they'd like to get some wood for fuel, that they hadn't applied for relief yet, and they would like to cut wood for me if I would pay them with wood for themselves. So they'd be just an exchange there, see. And I discussed it with them and we arranged it. And I had a truck that I would haul my wood to my place and whenever the load for them to go down, I'd take a load down to their place. And they were very good men, very very obliging and kind, thoughtful men, and uh, I took the names and address, and in the spring I wanted some help, extra help planting trees and a few things like that, and I sent for them. Went down to see them, got them. They came up and they worked for me for, oh, Two more years, I guess. Both summer and winter, I kept his jobs going. See, and uh, they were—they proved to be very good men.
1: So I guess so there's a lot of things like that. People who had farms would would take on an unemployed person just to keep them fed and that. Yes. Now. Um, oh, I
2: paid these fellows wages, you see, uh, whenever they worked for me.
1: Did you have a lot of trouble with the um, transients that, sort of, uh, during the Depression that came through on the oh, railways?
2: No. The transients, in the old days, were smart. They had a mark on your gate, your gate someplace around there that'd tell, the next guy comes along, whether you could be looked after there or not, see? And uh, I soon got wised up to it. uh, And when the Depression came on, and they'd come in to me, I said, now, our township down there at Islington looks after all relief. You go to the police station down there and they'll look after you, which they did. They were pretending to beg for a place to sleep or something to eat. I said, well, they'll take care of that down there at the police station, which we did. And that is, they kept them off your place that way.
1: I haven't heard too much about the, uh, the police department in Etobicoke, that was a uh, the township police, you had mm-hmm. your own force. Mm-hmm. Um, how big of a force was it then?
2: Well, I remember when it was about a three-man force.
1: This would be in the 20s or 30s?
2: Yeah, in the 20s. It, uh, they'd have one man over near Weston, and we had another man in the Humber Bay. And the fell out and looked up Islington and laughed
1: Now what would they spend most of their time doing? Pardon? Do you remember what they would spend most of their time working on? What sort of problems?
2: Oh jumping parked cars at nights. <laughs> they'd be down along the Humber River up around my bush or someplace like that. And uh Then they were on call. If somebody was stealing Mm -hmm. vegetables out of somebody's place, they'd get phone calls for it.
1: Did did that happen a lot?
2: No, not a lot. Uh, In those days, they're allowed to pick you up for speeding on the last (laughs) street When they... uh, uh, First war was on, they had a, a ration gasoline. And the police, a fellow, my name is Suggett, he would come out Sunday morning on his bicycle. And nearly every car that went past, he'd pinch them if he thought they were going fast. They had no proof, but If he if he swore you're speeding over 25 miles an hour, there was no proof of it at all. The judge would take his word for it.
1: How much would a fine be for speeding then?
2: Oh, ten dollars, five dollars. Cost court cost ten dollars fine. Yeah, but ten dollars it was worth. Uh, About thirty dollars of today's money.
1: A week's work. (laughs) Now uh, in the 20s, um, what were some of the issues in council, some of the controversial things you might remember?
2: Well, Connie Smythe was started in uh, the gravel business and uh, he was trying to sell gravel around. And every fall, we put some gravel on our roads to carry them over the winter, and uh, we called for tenders. And uh, one night we were open, and Connie Smythe landed in to hear the, the results. And uh, he had the best prices for us, so we give him the tender uh, supply the gravel. And he had uh, just started race horses, and Long Branch races were coming up the next week down at Long Branch here, and he had horses coming in there. So, uh, when he got up to go out, I followed him out into the hall. I said, "Um, what about Long Branch, Connie? He turned around and looked at me He says, the first horse of mine that's out is out for the winter's oats. That's all he said. I went back in and reported to the rest of the members of the council. They all smiled. In those days, the racetrack gave the members of the council, it was in our municipality, uh, uh, passive, see. So we we had passive, so I went, another Billy Clarkson from the north end, I went down and uh, when we saw this first horse out. And we were standing there, and Connie goes walking by, and, and uh, we spoke to him, just casual like light, and asked him how things were, and he said, oh, there's a lot of good horses in this race. <laughs> but then we re- realized that there were three fellows walking behind him, listening for anything he had to say. See? And uh, so my other counsel friend he said, I don't think I'll hit him on the nose, I think I'll bet him across the board. I said, no, I'm going to stay with hitting him on the nose, all or nothing. Which we did. And uh, he come in all right, first, paid well. I haven't been out down in Long Branch. I never been down in Long Branch since. <laughs> or oh, I'd been down other years when I first started. We had passed, and uh, but I just played two dollar tickets, running them, not knowing about. It. But I got my money back anyway.
1: Now, well, your uh. You're, uh your farm on the Etobicoke Creek was right beside the, the village of Somerville. Pardon? Your, your, your farms down yeah. on the west end yeah. were right beside Somerville. Can yeah. you tell me something about the village of Somerville?
2: Well, well the Etobicoke River run right through the middle of the... Uh, people, the members of the... These were on both sides of the river. But the stores, the business section, was on the Peel side. And... Uh, there was a, a post office grocery store and uh, the newspapers came in there by mail and And uh, the, across the road from the post office grocery store was the blacksmith shop. And next door to the blacksmith shop was uh, James Sabison's carriage shop. Made wagons and carriages and all kinds of work of that nature. And next to that was the hotel, Summerville Hotel.
1: Now the hotel, that would, uh, was that a very popular spot?
2: Yes, for the, in the old days
1: it was. Now how yeah. big, how big of a place would it be? It would have a, a beverage room?
2: Oh yeah, it a two-story building. And it was uh, a long building, uh, they had the uh, bar and a dining room, and uh, then a kind of a private social room, and uh, then the family part of the hotel, as well as the upstairs part was room
1: now the family part of the hotel, what would that be, sort of a, a lounging area, or is it games?
2: No, that, well the family part of that lounge that I was telling you about probably, but then they had their own private room, section, uh, living room, you see, and, and, and uh, kitchen and all the rest of oh,
1: it. Oh, this is the, the people who own the hotel? Yes, yeah,
2: sure. oh, yeah. Oh yeah. O'Brien. Well, the name of people.
1: Now, would it would be mainly the local farmers who went there, or would it be traveling salesmen, or?
2: Yeah, both. Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: now, was there any sort of place in there you could buy um, clothing or cloth?
2: No, not there. No.
1: So, where would you go for that?
2: Eaton's in Toronto. <laughs> Old Timothy, his farm was right across the road from us on Dundas Street.
1: So what, now the area that your Dundas Street farm, would you, what area would you call that? Would that be, did you call it Somerville or would you call it Eatonville or?
2: No, Somerville, Somerville. There was no Eatonville at all. Okay. This Eatonville was, the Women's Institute changed the Swamp School Named Eatonville. <laughs>
1: That's the only time Eatonville was ever used. Would you go into Toronto often back, to say, in the 20s and 30s?
2: Oh, yes. Uh, we'd even go down in the evening on Saturday nights to do shopping. At one time, you went to West Toronto, do the shopping, maybe go to the a show. Movie, and uh, then when Runnymede developed shopping district, we all went down there. That would be Runnymede and on Bluer Street, Bluer Street Runnymede, from Runnymede to Jane Street, was a a quite a modern, up-to-date shopping center in its day.
1: Now, would you ever go down to uh, the Lake Shore, down to the parks along there, or? Oh yes, Long Branch Park was uh,
2: quite a popular place. I knew the people that owned it. Well, Sam Wright, my father got Sam Wright to run for council one time down there, and. and uh, They had uh, roller coasters and uh, donkey rides and all kinds of amusement there, and a big open dance hall, and it was very popular.
1: you ever go dancing down there?
2: Oh, sure. What,
1: uh, who are some of the big bands that would, or the bands that would play there?
2: They didn't have a band at any time. They just had one piano player. And he was a darb, Uh, Jack Morrison, his name was. He worked in Eaton selling music at times and played out there at nights. But his playing drew the crowd. Everybody liked it. I met, met girls down there that came from East Toronto. Right across on Queen Street, and right out Long Branch
1: to the dances. It's quite a distance. Yeah, it was. Now, um, how did you meet your wife?
2: I met her through going to agriculture College. I sat next to her brother in class, and. Uh, He invited uh, Clarence Walker from Malton, who was right there with us, Ws and Ss, and uh, I to come up one Sunday to Queensville, Ontario. That's near Lake Simcoe. And that's how I met her.
1: How long did you uh, go out before you got married?
2: Well, that trip up, she was going the next day to uh, teacher school. She'd gone through for school teacher, take her first school. She taught school for three years and got her permit certificate. And then she started right into nursing, Toronto General Hospital. And got her permit certificate for down there.
1: So you got married when you' are i believe was you're twenty eight -hmm so what you went out four or five years oh yes mm-hmm. would you say that was normal for your your group of friends pardon would you say that was normal for your group of friends to go out for that length of time before getting married?
2: Oh, I think so
1: for my group, yeah uh, no. Everyone seems to go east in Etobicoke, down to Toronto. Did you ever go west into into Peel County, beyond Somerville?
2: Go up to Cooksville. They used to have a fairgrounds up there. Went up there quite a bit. That is I just went to the fairs and sometimes I uh, went up there to get to a harness man, Made harness or repaired harness, that kind of stuff.
1: Now, what uh, church did you go to? Pardon? What church did you go to?
2: Islington uh, Methodist, and uh, it developed from the old town hall. The, t- uh, the, uh, the uh, it was the church, and then the town hall located there when the council's first met. They'd meet, uh, We'll say, up at Thistletown one time and down the Humber the next time uh, at the hotels, DC you see? And uh, they'd meet in Islington at the hotel. The clerk lived in a certain place so if you want to do any business you had to contact the clerk all the time. Well then, uh, when they built the new church on the south side of Dundas Street in Islington, the old church, which is a frame building, was taken over by the municipality and used for a hall, and uh, used it for a town hall, some kind of centralized the thing. And then after I got on it in the council, the, uh, They brick veneered it, and they put, uh, built a piece on the back with the council chambers up there's, and offices on the ground floor for the clerk and the treasurer and the engineers and that kind of work and the police department office.
1: Now, you lived right by, you said you lived... You lived nearer to Somerville than Islington. Was there no church in the Somerville area you could go to?
2: There was one farther west, uh, the Bethesda church on the north side of the road. My grandfather always went up to it. But I went down here to this one because my mother belonged to that one. She lived nearer to it. And she sang in the choir down there and sang the quartet with that choir. And uh, that's what drew us down to this in church.
1: Now, uh, what was the minister like, or one of the, some of the ministers like? What type of personalities were they? Were they quiet men or were they loud or...?
2: No, they were all pretty quiet men.
1: No fire and brimstone?
2: No sermons.: No holy Rollers about you..
1: <laughs> so uh, what, what was the most important thing of, to you about the church?
2: Oh, the social life as much as anything. You got to meet nice people.
1: So what sort of social events uh, would you attend there? attend there. Oh,
2: well, there, you would have uh, uh, Christmas entertainments, for example, and a meal at it, and uh, sometimes they'd have, uh, in the fall, a roast turkey dinner to make money, raise money, you see. they put on a big dinner and entertainment on top of that. After the dinner was all over, they go upstairs in the body of the church, and, and they'd be entertaining. Singing and uh, telling stories and all kinds of stuff.
1: Now, is, uh, where would you go um, if you wanted to, you know, have a chat with your neighbors? Was there a find out what's happening around in the rest of the world? Where would you go? Is there a certain central meeting place everyone sort of went to? or
2: No. You had more chats with the neighbors sitting on the rail fence down in the shade of the tree on Dundas Street watching the cars go by. And you'd be picking out who it was that was driving it or guessing the make of the car, the name of the car. In those days you knew the make of every car (laughs) that came along And about 80% of the people that went along, you knew, recognized them too.
1: So that's how you kept up on on the community uh, affairs.
2: Yeah. Well, on a nice afternoon, sunny afternoon on a Sunday, that's what you do. The people who had cars went out driving and... Those who didn't want to drive and didn't have a drive car sat on the rail fence and watched them go by.
1: Now, when did you get first get a telephone?
2: Oh, about nineteen, um, maybe fifteen.
1: Do you remember who the um, the first operator was?
2: I don't know honestly if it was the first or not. There was one called Mary Scott. She run the exchange in the back of Hopkins
1: Grocery Store. And this was in Islington or? In Islington. Now what sort of, what sort of services could you get from from the telephone? Oh, just fairly good at the parties' lines, you know, and
2: four or five people on the line.
1: Now, uh, the party line. <laughs> uh, was there a lot of people or anybody, anyone you know that used to sit on the phone and listen to us? Have you had the conversations?
2: No, not that, uh, I don't think so. Not on our
1: line. Now, uh, what about, uh, liquor? Was there many people that drank? Not, not excessively, but, you know, drank?
2: Well, it depends on what period you're talking about.
1: Uh, okay, let's start off with the 20s.
2: In the 20s? Mm-hmm. It was pretty down there, dry then, wasn't it? Oh no, uh, let me see. Yeah. We had Canada dry. And
1: there's no, no, no bootleggers and moonshiners in the area?
2: Oh, there are lots of bootleggers.
1: The, uh, in, in the Somerville area?
2: No, not in the area. <laughs> the blacksmith used to sell uh, sweepstakes, tickets. I remember they were sent to him that when I was going to high school, I got off the train. We went up and down the CPR train to West Toronto. I got off the train one night and I see a bundle, a little bit of a bundle lying there on the platform. And I uh, looked at it, went over and picked it up, and it was addressed to the blacksmith. So uh, there was another man that just lived near the blacksmith down there. Got off train too, and I said, hey, take this up to the blacksmith. This is for him. It's lying here on the platform. It's going to get wet. And he looked at me. Oh, I wouldn't handle that for nothing. <laughs> I didn't know what it was, so I took it up and gave it to the blacksmith. And he, and uh, he didn't say anything to I me. Mean, he thanked me for bringing it up and all the rest of where I got it. But he was
1: selling them. you see, these were tickets or what exactly was the sweepstakes?
2: Uh, sweep tickets. T- 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 Irish sweepstakes.
1: They weren't. Uh, that wasn't legal then, or?
2: Oh yeah, it's illegal. But uh, they have to be careful how they shipped it around. You see. You you couldn't tell what
1: it was. Mm-hmm. Well, from
2: outside.
1: Why why mm-hmm. do you have to be careful? Mm-hmm. I I I don't mm-hmm. understand. The
2: mailers wouldn't touch them. Yeah, it came by express or something.
1: Now, you mentioned you had a, a sawmill?
2: My grandfather had a sawmill in my days right on the last street next to the Etobicoke River, in Somerville. And, oh, that would be way back in 19... maybe 10. How big of a uh, mill maybe was before. it? He had uh, 100 acres up at uh, Markland Woods the timber, and he had about 50 down near the CBR tracks. And he let sold the stuff, and the sawmill fellas came and cut the logs and hauled them down and cut them there. And he was paid so much a thousand for the lumber. And uh, then, back in 1919, I bought a sawmill and uh, set it up on the Etobicoke River, down near North Queen Street, which is uh, right at the CPR tracks. And cut logs there for three years, I think, and uh, then I moved it over onto what we call the mill farm beside the river, but I run by steam
1: those times. Now, is is that a profitable venture?
2: Oh, yes, I did more jobbing than I did in my own number in those days, my own
1: Were you the only mill in the area then? Pardon? You, you had the only mill in the Four, area. Uh, yeah. How far away would people come to get their uh, logs caught up?
2: Well, it depends on what direction they're and I remember they brought a, a log up from Long Branch Park, and they said it was the eagle tree they brought up. Nice big pine log, but butt log, oh boy, bigger a big one. So I started into sawing it. I cut a railroad spike in two. You see, the tree had grown right out over it. Somebody had driven it in, and then the tree, while well, it was growing, and it grew right out past it, you see. I didn't see it. So uh, that cost the fellow a set of new teeth, see. I have an inserted tooth saw, and uh, I just pull them all out and put in new teeth.
0: Thanks for listening to the Etobicoke Historical Society's Oral History Podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to subscribe and like. If you wish to learn more about the work of our society, be sure to visit www etopicalhistorical.com. See you next month!